grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. On some level, <clears throat> when, when I'm preparing for this, I wonder, uh, I, I've preached this text, this, is, this will be about the, maybe the third or fourth time in, in my entire time here that I've, I've preached on the Good Samaritan. Um, it's one of those texts that you hear a lot, and for good reason. And so sometimes when uh, I would imagine pastors prepare for this text, they go, what else can I say, right? What else can I say about the Good Samaritan that hasn't already been said? Like I said, it's a text that we should know very, very well. And some things that I've said before about this, I guess we'll use a bit of a review on some level. There's so much here, but there's something to consider here. That Jesus is talking to his disciples privately at first and says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And then, as if on cue, a lawyer stands up. <laughs> uh, you can, put the joy, uh, you, you can put the joke about the lawyers there, whatever, whatever you want it to be, right? Uh, the lawyer stands up and kind of sticks his foot in his mouth, right? And he puts him to the test, thinks that he's actually going to do something here as far as testing Jesus. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? As a good rabbi would, right? He asks him a question, and the lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live, right? Do this and you will live. And within that little pretext there to the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's so much that I'll just try and boil it down a little bit that the lawyer is asking him a strange question. What shall I do to inherit? Do you do anything to inherit something? Inheritance comes by grace. It's a gift, right? I will not get what is coming to me as a son from my parents by working so hard. It's because I'm my parents' son. And likewise with anybody else, you receive Something You do not work for that inheritance. Yet, Jesus plays the game, and he, sa and he says, what is written in the law, how do you read it? And the lawyer answers correctly, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now remember, Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This lawyer is still in that category. He does not see and he does not hear exactly what it is that he is saying, right? He gets it right on the test question of what is written in the law, but he doesn't quite understand what is being said, that you shall love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being <clears throat> and your neighbor as yourself. 
And when Jesus answers affirmatively, do this and you will live, that's when the conscience comes in. This lawyer starts to get a little troubled, and you can tell because he doesn't just go away. He doesn't just take that. He goes further, and, he's, and it says, he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, we don't know exactly how he's trying to justify himself, but we, are, we can assume on some level that if he's so brazen as to ask a question about what he has to do to inherit life eternal, he's probably thinking to himself, well, I think I do pretty well at loving the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my strength and with all my mind. Now the problem comes in with my neighbor. Right? Who is my neighbor? I know myself well enough, but who is my neighbor? And you know what? It's not a bad question. Let's not think that the question in of itself is bad. It's not a bad question because he's desiring to know more on some level. His motivation is off, but it's a good question and something that we should ponder as well. Because with the entire parable of the Good Samaritan, we see something striking. And you've heard all this before, no doubt, from somebody else, but I'll just say as well that we see that there are, there's a man who falls among robbers. <clears throat> they strip him. And they, and they rob him, and they leave him half dead. And he's just laying there on the road to Jericho. And everybody that comes by that should help him doesn't. A priest comes by and sees him and passes by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite sees him, passes by on the other side. And you've probably heard many of rationale as to why that is. They want to remain clean. He's probably all bloodied. If they touch blood, they have to go through ceremonies to, to get clean again so they can give praise and thanks to God in the temple. And they'd rather just focus on that than this man who's lying half dead. So they just go on. And then you see a Samaritan come by. And the Samaritan is one that would have been extremely despised by someone like the lawyer. A Samaritan would have been seen as a half-breed, as it were. A Samaritan was a result of um, the northern kingdom of the Israelites um, being conquered by the Assyrians and as a way of wiping out the people's pure bloodline, the Assyrians made it to where they pretty much forced them to marry with the people of the land of the different tribes and the pure bloodline of those tribes was wiped out. So a Samaritan was seen as someone who was not quite good enough. They were sort of related, but not enough. And on top of that, the Samaritans had a, uh, they had a certain idea of the faith that they believed uh, was the true faith, but it wasn't at the time. It's a long story. They set up their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and the Jews in the southern kingdom came and tore it down. So there's bad history between the Samaritans and the Jews. So when a Samaritan comes along, that's the guy you'd expect to look at this guy and say, not helping him, walking on. But he does something surprising. 
and he comes to where the man is, and when he sees him, he has compassion. Now, I've said this before, that compassion, that word for compassion in the Greek is a wonderful word, splagnitsamai, and it means that your, your stomach turns for the person that you see because you feel so bad for them, your guts are just wrenching inside of you. That's what that means to have compassion. And outside of the parables, well, I'll get to that in a second. So we see the Samaritan say, come, come to him, binds his wounds, sets him on his own animal, brings him to an inn, takes care of him. Next day, gives the innkeeper um, some funds to take care of him and says, whatever more you need to spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so then he asks the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer, I would guess, reluctantly says, the one who showed him mercy. He cannot bring himself to say the Samaritan, but he says the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. So when I say, going back to that word for compassion, outside of the parables in the Gospels, the only person ever in all of the New Testament to ever show splagnitsamai is none other than Jesus himself. When he looks upon the crowds and when he looks upon people and he has compassion for them, he is gut-wrenched because he feels for them so much and he wants to do something for them so much. I've said before on some level that when we read this, we think to ourselves, maybe we're supposed to be the Samaritan. And on some level, we are, because Christ is telling us something truthful, saying, you go and do likewise. We are supposed to be like the Samaritan. But the Samaritan, having compassion, only like Christ can, means that Christ is the Samaritan. Jesus is the Samaritan. He is the one who is despised. He is the one who is taken and beaten and spit upon and slandered and crucified for us. That he takes of his own time and of his own means to take us who are truly dead in our sins and trespasses and he takes us and he does all that is necessary to bring us back to life. He is the one who, though he is the one who truly loves the Lord his God with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his strength, and with all his mind, and he loves his neighbor as himself, and he does this, and though he does this, he dies, but in dying, he lives. That in all these things, we see that this is truly a story of Christ. And yet, there is something to be added here. That, well, sometimes when you hear this parable, you hear someone far off on one side making this about what we should do. And I think us Lutherans have done rightly to try and correct this from a legalistic interpretation, only about what we are to do, and back towards the focus on Jesus as to what he does for us. But we cannot, we cannot forget that Jesus does say, 
you go and do likewise. So in going back and forth, uh, we sometimes wind up being like what Luther says. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes from Luther. He says, human nature is like a drunk peasant. Lift him into the saddle on one side and he will fall off on the other. Right? That we sometimes, when we're trying to correct things, we push so far in the opposite direction that we fall off the other side of the horse. Right? So we have to be careful to keep things in tension properly and not be also like the lawyer, right? Because the lawyer is saying, who is my neighbor seeking to justify himself? Possibly because he doesn't want the Samaritan to be his neighbor. He maybe want to pick and choose the neighbors that he has, right? And the neighbors that he has would be family, friends, loved ones, the man that he trades with or whatever, right? It's someone that is close to him that he likes. He is particular. And being particular is not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a sin. But when you go too far off the side of the horse and you fall off, right, you get into trouble like the lawyer in saying, I'm going to pick and choose who my neighbor truly is. And yet, we should not be like the drunken peasant who, when we're trying to correct this particularity, fall off the other side of the horse by saying something like, you might have heard this before, who is, who is my neighbor? Everybody is my neighbor. Believe it or not, that's falling off the other side of the horse. If everyone is my neighbor, no one is my neighbor. Think about that for a minute. If everyone in the entire world is my neighbor, meaning that everyone on the other side of the globe from Fredericksburg, Texas, is my neighbor, then that means that I've got to do everything I can to help everybody. And that's just impossible. It's losing sight of what is true. It's better to say, not that everyone is my neighbor, but anyone could be my neighbor. To be a neighbor means that you are in close proximity of somebody else, right? Because what is it? This Samaritan could not help this man unless he was right there. He could not help him being in Galilee, right? But he's down in Jericho. That's north and south, right? That means that there should be a paramount focus on the people that are right in front of us. The people that God has given to us to serve day in and day out, and it is a broad circle, right? That not only our uh, friends, our neighbors, not only are the people who live right next to us our neighbors, but our spouses, our children, our family, they are our they are our neighbor. And, but then there, you get into the other thing of, then that's getting more particular into flesh and blood. You should take care of those who are members of your household, right? But in the broad scheme of things, the neighbors are the people that are put right in front of you. The neighbors that you are to serve 
are those people that you see every day of your life. Or if you perchance see somebody in dire straits needing help and you are able to help them, you should help them. That person is your neighbor. It sounds basic. It sounds like a no-brainer. But we have to be careful not to fall off one side of the horse or the other and focus on who it is that's right in front of us. And then we can actually look at also the beautiful gospel passage within this that the Samaritan does, Jesus does what is necessary to save you. He draws near to you in his word to save you, to tell you of what he has done. He draws near to you in baptism to wash you clean of your sins. He draws near to you in his body and his blood to feed you the very forgiveness of sins. He draws near to you as your neighbor in faith to do what is, to do what is absolutely necessary to save you. And so, we must think to ourselves, how have I treated my neighbors? The only way that we can see the beauty of the gospel is to see how the law has been fulfilled in Christ. And therefore, we look and we see Jesus saying, you go and do likewise. But we cannot just go and do likewise expecting that we gain all the benefits because of what we work. The benefits have already been won in Jesus Christ, who is our good Samaritan, who has died for us, who gives us his body and his blood to eat and to drink, who gives us all that we need to be saved. And therefore, with this wonderful treasury of grace, we therefore go and do likewise. We can only love because he first loved us. That in all these things, we remember that he has done these things for us. We cannot do anything apart from him in faith. And we ask him all the while as we go forward and we seek to be the Good Samaritan for the sake of the Good Samaritan and who he was for us. We go and we say, Lord, keep us sober and on that horse that we may serve and not fall off one side or the other and say, Lord, keep me sober and on the horse doing the things you have called me to do in faith according to your good and gracious will. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.